a builder would come in with his stubby shorts on and his scuffed up boots and then I'd, I'd look at his files after he left I'd be like oh my god that guy owns 12 rental properties so I'd see these people that just were everyday people just like me just like you know everyone else that I knew but they'd managed to achieve and accomplish amazing things and it just made me want to be just like them baby. This is Property Investory where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Tyron Shum and in this episode, we're speaking with property-obsessed mortgage broker, Kirsty Dumphy. We'll follow her journey from jumping a hurdle and starting her first business at 15 years old to getting into property management where she would discover her passion for property and go on to build a future for her family. Also, before we delve into this episode, go over to propertyinveststory.com and subscribe to receive your free property investor case studies where you'll learn how to generate passive income from your properties. Go there now to sign up for free. My name is Kirsty Dunphy. Um, my title, hmm, um, I'm a mortgage broker, I'm a property investor, I'm a mum. There's a lot of titles that go with my name at the moment. Um, mum's the one that's front and foremost on my mind because my four-year-old woke me up at 3 a.m. this morning. I was trying to be all rested and relaxed for this, but she had other ideas. Um, and I guess, you know, I've, I've been working in the real estate world since I was 15 years old. I had a number of real estate agencies myself. And then a couple of years ago, I got into mortgage broking and all of that and and just other experiences I've had over my lifetime watching my parents, it's all just fueled a love of property investment. Um, I have a big smile on my face that you want to talk about this. It's one of my favorite topics. So yeah, I'm happy to get into it. Awesome, awesome. And about that four-year-old, I can totally relate. You know, there's, there's usually those nights and mornings where we get up at 3 and 4 a.m. and go, oh. Uh, they're so fun. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they're so cute though. Like, you know, my four-year-old was like, mum, don't you want to sleep with me at 3 a.m. or whatever it was? And I was like, I would love to. But, you know, I would also like to sleep without a four-year-old foot being shoved in my, you know, my solar plexus. In any given day, Dumphy's role as a mother is split between managing clients my day at the moment, it starts at 7 a.m. usually, I hope. I'm not one of those super early risers, um, but I get up at 7 and I get my kids ready and we get off to school and then I generally start appointments at work from about 9.30. Um, I work a school hour day most days. Um, I work part-time in office hours and then more than full-time outside of office hours. So pretty much my day is back-to-back appointments. I see clients pretty much non-stop throughout the day in either 15-minute, half an hour or 45-minute increments. So I hardly ever even get time to eat lunch um, so it's like back to back to back to back because I'm, I'm busy and I've got to see clients like in work hours typically so there's not as much time for me as there would be for someone who works a traditional work week um, and then I usually go and pick up my kids about 2.45, hang out with them for a couple of hours, dinner, bed, fun time, story, piano practice, all the fun things that you do when you're a mum of a four-year-old and a six-year-old and then I'm vigilant on bedtime so bedtime starts at for them and I try to never let it get past that and then I start work again. So I tend to do anywhere between two to 
four half an hour calls from 7.30 onwards. So I'm usually wrapped up with that by about nine o'clock. And then I get stuck into the actual email paperwork admin side of my job. Um, so my day is is not incredibly exciting, but my life I've sort of set up so that I can be with my kids and still work and be productive. And um, I also travel a lot. So there's times where I'm not at work for a, a lot of the time. And that's so that I can, you know, get out there, see the world. I've been to 10 countries this year. That's one of my other not-so-secret passions. Wow. And so, yeah, that's a typical day for me when I'm at work. But when I'm on holidays, the day sort of starts and I just i am on holidays until 7 p.m. when the kids go to sleep and then I start working and it finishes when it finishes. Born in Darwin, Dumpy's upbringing was spent moving around a lot with her parents. My dad was in the Navy to start off with. So up until my current house, I don't think I've ever lived in a house for longer than a year and a half. So I think that might be part of my um, part of my condition, growing up and living in so many houses. My mum and dad were property investors um, back in the time where they experienced 17, 18% interest rates. So a pretty tough time to be doing things. But I would spend my weekends quite often going to open homes. And obviously I was a child, so I didn't understand the full intricacies of it. But it seemed like, you know, every couple of months, mum and dad would just go and buy another house and we'd be moving or we'd be doing different things or they'd have a new investment property. And they had a little portfolio. I helped my dad manage it when I was younger. So I think my parents are partly to blame for the fact that I'm a little bit obsessed with property. Moving around Australia, her parents retired at quite a young age due to their property investments and the ownership of some small businesses. However, this was a premature move. Then we sort of just popped around in different places in Victoria and then my parents loved the cold weather so they actually... um. So I mentioned my dad was in the Navy, my mum was a bookkeeper and um, they actually got to a stage with investment properties and with a couple of small businesses where they were able to retire down to Tassie when they were in their 30s, um, which I thought was super cool. Um, cool is probably the operative word because they kept going further and further south because neither of them liked the hot weather. Um, so I'm lucky I didn't end up growing up in Antarctica, but I made it down <laughs> to Tassie when I was 10 years old. And again, we popped around in a whole bunch of different houses down here. Um, and that was all fantastic. Like mum and dad, as I said, had sort of retired down here, not on any massive sort of financial backing, but enough for them to chill out down here but then unfortunately um, that didn't last forever and over I guess sort of my mid-teen years when I was 14, 15, 16, um, my family underwent some some really tough financial times. They'd left their businesses um, being run in Melbourne by someone that you know didn't do the right thing unfortunately and perhaps they didn't keep as close an eye on it as they would have liked to. Um, interest rates you know went through a really high phase so they didn't have their property portfolio and things got pretty dire for my family. I um I was the only child who was sort of of an age where they could chat to you know about that. My brother's ten years younger than me, and so my parents, I guess they always treated me like an adult, which may or may not have been the right thing. I don't know, but I was pretty aware of what was going on. And over the space of a couple of years, my parents actually um, they divorced. They both went individually bankrupt. There's a lot of stuff that went on in our family. We had our house repossessed, our car repossessed, all sorts of stuff. So. That too was a really big motivator for me just in terms of, I guess, where my drive came from. Like 
some people have said to me, you know, what's it all about? When will it be enough? How much money? How many properties? All of that sort of stuff. And for me, you know, over the years, I've had certain figures that I've been wanting to be aiming for, but it's really clear to me that for me, it's about making sure that my family is never in danger of having that happen to them again. And just making sure that I can look after the people that I love. That's where that's where the drive for me has always come from. I don't ever want to see anyone I love go through that again. Although Dumpy has been able to settle down for some time with her family, she's now looking for a new home. But I've been in the same house now for 13 years, I think, which is so weird for me. It's, in some ways, it's great, but also I've I've had itchy feet for probably a decade um, just because I'm not used to it. And so I can't find anything. Um, when you move, you have this big cathartic experience of being able to clean out, being able to find all your stuff and having kids who are tiny little hoarders. Like my whole house seems full. Um, I probably wouldn't be that disappointed if half the things in my house just miraculously disappeared one day and I was suddenly a minimalist. But I think you have a better chance to do that when you move. So I probably actually will move for the first time in a long time next year. Oh, and where are you planning to move to next year? So we're renovating a little character cottage and we're going to do a big extension on the back and it'll actually be the first time I've ever personally been involved with, you know, substantial renovation or building. Um, You'll find out later on when we speak about the properties, I'm fairly boring in what I do. I'm not a developer. I'm, you know, I've never even built a home from the ground up. I was chatting with a client this morning and sort of going through the pros and cons of it and just was like, oh, yeah, that's why I've never done it because I'm, I'm boring, I'm time poor and so typically I buy very boring houses and rent them out and forget that I've ever owned them so yeah so the concept of doing this build and renovation is exciting for me but it'll it'll be a first. While at school she undertook her first jobs and eventually was inspired to start her own jewelry business sparking the beginning of an entrepreneurial streak. My mum was actually working in a real estate agency when I got my first job there at 15 and it was just an after-school job. It was never, you know, going to be my passion in life. I was a bit of a math nerd in school so I kind of thought I would go and do something in computing or something with math or something along those lines and so this was just an after-school job. I just wanted to earn money. I mean, like I said, my parents bred a good work ethic into me. I'd always worked in their small businesses Um, and so I wanted to work. I wanted to earn my own money. Um, I was saving up for a car actually so I worked in a real estate agency and worked in an ice cream shop. I don't think I need to explain why I took the job in the ice cream shop. There's obvious benefits to that. Um, but I um, I just wanted to save up money for a car and so I ended up saving up my first $1,000, which was approximately what I needed to buy a secondhand combi at that stage, which was my dream car. And um, somehow, just a turn of events, I was with my mum. I was over visiting my grandmother in um, Caulfield in Victoria and I ended up walking past a jewellery shop. And I loved the jewellery. It was affordable. It was cool. There was nothing like it back at home. And somehow my mum ended up having a massive pep talk with me and convinced me that even though, you know, everything had gone quite pear-shaped with my dad and my mum's businesses, that I'd actually been given an amazing gift by that. And this was probably a huge turning point in my life. I mean, I think all of us have bad things that happen to us over the years and I could have looked at you know, the financial degradation of my family situation as something that, you know, made me scared for the rest of my life. But instead, you know, at 15, I decided that no other 15-year-old had seen what had worked and what had failed in small business, you know, as hands up as me or no one that I knew. And so I could use that as my education. So at 15, I actually started up my first small business. I took the $1,000 that I'd saved from my two jobs um, and I bought a whole bunch of jewellery wholesale. 
and started selling it at markets, started selling it after school and did that right through high school. That was my first little business and got to the stage where I was bringing in jewellery from Thailand in $10,000 lots and, you know, sort of had a little bit of a business going on at a young age. So that was kind of the start of my entrepreneurial flair, I guess. Coming up after the break, we'll delve further into Dumpy's story on where she went after completing her school. I ended up working as a waitress and then managing a restaurant. I ended up working part-time in a real estate agency and then ended up coming back to Tassie and, and starting my whole real estate journey. And Find out about her first property investment in Tasmania. I ended up spending $31,500 on a tiny one-bedroom unit. Um, I also got a $7,000 government first-time owners grant. So, basically, the thing was nearly free. And that's next. I'm Tyron Shum and you're listening to Property Investory. Hey, podcast listeners. I just wanted to let you know about the podcast show notes I've created for you that you can download at freepropertyresource.com. Inside these show notes, I've included a full summary, details of the resources recommended plus much, much more. Just go to freepropertyresource.com to grab it now. It's free and it'll make the rest of the episode so much more impactful. Again, that's freepropertyresource.com. Now back to the show. After high school, she had a brief stint at university before continuing on to start a real estate journey. I was a real nerd in high school and thought, no worries, I'll head off to uni and it'll be fine and ended up um, choosing my two best subjects which were accounting and computing and started a double degree and probably dropped out after the first year, like just complete surprise to me but I didn't choose well. I mean, they didn't really... There wasn't such a thing as a gap year really in that time and I kind of wish that there was because then maybe I might have taken a year, maybe figured out a little bit about myself, about what would have suited me. Um, but as it turned out, I, I dropped out. I ended up working as a waitress and then managing a restaurant. I ended up working part-time in a real estate agency and then ended up coming back to Tassie and, and starting my whole real estate journey. And that was probably, so I say now I wish I'd taken a gap year, but I actually don't wish I could change anything because coming back and working in the real estate agency again at 19 led me to working in property management. Working in property management was the best thing for me as far as developing a bit of an urge to be a property investor at a later stage because I would see these very ordinary looking people come in. So like, a school teacher and, you know, maybe just a, a guy that worked in a shop and they'd come in and they'd be like, oh, my gosh, they own three rental properties or a builder would come in with his stubby shorts on and his scuffed up boots and then I'd, I'd look at his files after he left and I'd be like, oh, my God, that guy owns 12 rental properties. So I'd see these people that just were everyday people just like me, just like, you know, everyone else that I knew but they'd managed to achieve and accomplish amazing things and it just made me want to be just like them basically. So dropping out of uni, moving back home with my towel between my legs, living at home for an excruciatingly, you know, painful I think nine months of moving back home at 19, um, it was the best thing for me. Working in real estate for several more years, Dumphy was able to get out of her comfort zone through further experience. This led it to another great opportunity which would propel her into a property journey. 
Then at 21, I had the opportunity to go into partnership in my first real estate agency. I set that up with two of the um, very, very successful sales consultants from our company. And um, so yeah, 21 years old and and as a licensee and a co-owner of a real estate agency. And again, not really having much of a clue what I was doing, which is kind of a blueprint for my life. I quite often end up in things and I'm like, oh my gosh, we've got to figure this out on the fly. But we opened our real estate agency in 2001. We had no no commercial zoning on our office. We were just working out of an apartment. We had no website, no phones, no clients, no money. We funded the whole thing on two personal loans, presumably for cars. Um, it was a bit of a shambles, but it ended up being extremely successful and, and a big and exciting ride and led on to a number of other real estate ventures. And yeah, it was a big journey and adventure. The fundamentals of her business and property state of mind have seen her through from refilling her tea with hot water to reusing paper clips. I'm a big, big believer in bootstrapping it until you have cash flow. So I'm frugal, you know. I had a tea with a client this morning downstairs and then my next client walked in and I was like, well, I don't need another tea. I'm just going to get them to put some extra hot water in a cup, like frugality and like having a budget-minded nature. That is in me and I don't seem to be able to shake it and I'm not sure I really want to. So I'm the person who takes the paper clips off the paper and it comes in the office and I chuck them in a little pile and I reuse them again. Like I, that might seem so annoying and boring to some people but – I fully believe, especially when you're in startup mode, the more frugal you can be, the more you have to spend on the important things. And then also like this perfectionism that people seem to be really, really proud of. Like, oh, I'm a perfectionist. I want to get everything 100% right. To me, you're not getting anything done if you're waiting for it to be 100% right. I'd rather just get it 80% right and then just tweak it as I go. Like sort of subscribe to that Japanese philosophy of Kaizen, like just incremental improvement as you go. If you're waiting to get it perfect before you launch, you'll never launch. Like I've never launched anything that's been perfect, not even close to it. I've launched and then I've fixed things up as we go and I've taken on feedback and I've tried to make it better, but it's that hustle and just just getting started. Getting started is half, half the journey. Beginning to invest in property at a young age, Dumpy's first venture was a one-bedroom unit in Tasmania. I just wanted to get started and so the first property I bought, this is not a tale to replicate because I bought in Tassie a long time ago and so um, I got pre-approved with the bank for about $90,000 for my first home and I can hear people rolling their eyes because what could $90,000 buy? Um, well, in Tassie, that could buy an awful lot at that stage and so I didn't spend my full pre-approval amount which is something that I do say to clients quite frequently. I ended up spending $31,500 on a tiny one-bedroom unit. Um, I also got a seven thousand dollar government first home owners grant so basically the thing was nearly free um i still own it it's um it's actually my brother lives in it at the moment and it's not the kind of property i would invest in now but for that time in my life it was something small it was something where i could readily afford the mortgage and it got me started basically so that's where it all started i think i was 21 when i did that one and i moved into it and i lived there for a while and that was kind of my mo for a while i would just buy another property and move into it buy the next one move into it um, there was a long period of time where I didn't spend anything over $100,000 on a property. That was kind of like a mental barrier for me. I couldn't I couldn't get myself past that. And then I think I, you know, bought a number for $40,000, $90,000, $95,000. I think there was one that was 98. And then an opportunity came up to buy a, a 
big, very new sort of property and quite a, a lo- lovely area here. I had existing tenants ready to go and it was 255000 So that's kind of how I got over that small mental barrier. But then, yeah, I mean, I said to you earlier on, my investment strategy is quite boring. Um, I have a bunch of three and four bedroom, predominantly brick houses. I was into weatherboard to start off with, but then the maintenance was killing me. So as cute as they are, I switched over to mostly brick and I just forget about them. My property managers ask me a question about them and I'm like, well, I've, I've only been there twice. So I have no idea. You know, <laughs> I need you to go and figure that out. I'm not, I'm not detail oriented in that respect. I don't micromanage my property managers. I choose good property managers. Um, and I thankfully, given my job, I know good property managers and I just kind of let them, let them go for it. Those which she purchased for under $100,000 were positive cash flow properties. The rents on those ones probably would have been somewhere between one eighty and two thirty a week uh, at that time. So, yeah, that's why that's why Tassie's market boomed in two thousand and three, and we doubled in a space of about twelve months because a lot of mainland investors caught on to the returns that we were having down here, and things that went gangbusters. And you know, I mean, like everyone, if you wait long enough, you'll hear everyone saying, "Oh, I wish I could have bought that property at that price. I would have bought the whole street." <laughs> that's how everyone feels down here because you could, you could get. Three-bedroom brick homes under $100,000, so easily rentable. I mean, that's the, the beauty of Tassie is that our vacancy rates have always been very historically low if you buy in good areas. Um, our capital growth is extremely unpredictable, though. So what we tend to do is we tend to have a boom and then things, you know, might drop off a tiny bit, but then they plateau and they plateau for a very, very long time. Like our last plateau um, lasted, you know, somewhere between 12 and a half, 13 and a half years. So I mean, there were nothing really happened and we've just kind out of that now the last year down here in Tassie has been very very exciting um and a a great time to be you know a property owner down here but really hard for my first home buyers to get into the market although Dumphy hasn't had any really horrible investing moments she has come to be resilient and to live and learn when it comes to dealing with tenants I've had tenancy situations where they've gone pear-shaped but the good thing about having numerous properties is that you have one tenant situation like I had great tenants in a property for four years and then they got divorced and you know no one wanted to pay the rent the lawns got up over knee height I mean I've got a tenant that's moving out at the moment and the kids have drawn all over the blinds and things like that but none of that's insurmountable like I've never had a situation where a tenant's been atrocious and we didn't have appropriate insurance to cover it. I've never had a buy where I looked at it and went, I mean, I've had buys that I didn't go ahead with. I bought a property at auction on a whim um, down in Hobart and I then kind of got a bit cranky at the owners of it during settlement and and went and got the underbidder to take it over for me. And that property's probably gone up about 400 grand in the last two years. So it might have been nice if I'd not, you know, gotten a bit cranky and held on to that one. But it's not a regret. Like it didn't feel right. So I got myself out of the situation. So there's been things that haven't gone perfectly, but there's nothing I look at and go, mm, that's an epic disaster. I mean, I wish when I'd sold my big real estate agency that I didn't get out of my Melbourne portfolio. What I did at that stage was I sold the two properties I had in Melbourne at that stage and completely offset my entire um, my entire debt because I sold my big real estate agency. I didn't know what the next step was for me, and I, I'm. I'm actually quite a conservative person by nature. So I thought, okay, if all my debt's offset, then I've got time and freedom to be able to choose. And had I held on to those two properties, there's probably maybe, I don't know, maybe another seven or $800,000 worth of gains I might have experienced there over that period of time. But it was the right move at the right time. So I kind of don't believe in looking backwards. Everything I've done has been right for me at the time. And 
yes, there's been things I could have done smarter. I mean, like everyone, I wish I'd bought more when I could, when I had the capacity, but it wasn't within my comfort level at that time, so I wouldn't change anything. So, what wisdom has she drawn from the lessons she has learnt from her tenant woes? I mean, I just think careful tenant selection. I'd rather have a property sit vacant another week than put a tenant in that I'm not sure about. Good tenants, finding long-term tenants, I mean, that's, that's the secret to my ease of not having to really be hands-on with my portfolio, I think. Like, I'd rather have a tenant in there who I'm really sure of and just have it sit vacant. I've put tenants in before and I've had questions about them and most of the time, you know, you end up, this tenant that's going bad at the moment and she's just moved out, I made them put a guarantor on the lease because I thought that she was probably a bit dodgy. She is a bit dodgy. The guarantor will make sure that everything gets fixed. But, you know, it's it's probably something where I just should have listened to my gut a little bit more and said, no, hold off, wait, find the right tenant. So that's probably the only real big life lesson I could draw out of that. The aha moment for her came when she realized she could use the adversity she faced in the past as a stronghold for moving forward and evolving in the future. Definitely realising that that all the bad stuff that happened in my childhood could actually be seen as a real positive, that's good. I mean, that's been a life lesson that I can use always. So anytime something goes wrong and it's life, things go wrong, you know, I'm a mortgage broker. So in any given day, I might be working on, you know, 20 or 30 deals and some of them will be going pear-shaped. You've got to get in there and fix them. But it's, it's sort of about going, okay, something's gone wrong. And we kind of use the terminology um, of an, an, an autopsy. So in a medical situation, when something goes really wrong, and a patient dies, they will go back and they'll do an autopsy and they'll try and figure out exactly what happened and do a post-mortem and try and figure out exactly what's happened and how they can avoid it. And that's kind of the analogy that I would use. I do a lot of reflection at the time that something has gone wrong and I say, okay, what better systems and processes could I have put in place so that that doesn't happen again? And then we tweak it and then we move on, you know, and we, we try and make the best of any situation and that's in life, personal work, you know, all of that sort of stuff. So I guess just doing the reflection at the time rather than sitting on a, a big regret and just thinking like, oh, my gosh, it's the end of the world. Like all you can do is learn from it. So, inspired by Dumphy's story and her amazing aha moments, we'll continue the conversation in a future episode on Property Investory. We'll uncover the nuts and bolts of a strategy. So, where possible, I want to find something that a family can move into. Her habits for successful property investing. If I could pick one word that I would want people to say about me in terms of any interaction that they have with me, it's dependability. And that's next time in a future episode of Property Investory. Also, if you haven't subscribed to receive your free property case studies that I only send exclusively via email, you can text me your email address to 0499881040 to subscribe. These real case studies are from experienced property investors where they share specific numbers of their portfolio, the strategies and much more. Simply text me your email address to 0499881040 to get your free case studies. Thanks for listening.